Hey folks, Big E here with some breaking news. My podcast, Karaoke Big E, was just named the number one karaoke podcast of all time. Don't believe me? Well, you shouldn't. That category definitely does not exist. My co-host Kevmo and I are in a league of our own when it comes to podcasts. So why don't you check out the world's best, well, probably only, karaoke podcast. Karaoke Big E. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or, or wherever else you get your podcast. Or you can check us out at karaokebiggie.com. Come on by every Tuesday and give us a listen. And remember, you can't be a star if you don't shine. texted you over the week and I was like oh my god did you know Roger Taylor's son is the drummer for the darkness and like, you I were told like, you that two months ago Maggie and I said wow alcohol is a hell of a drug because I forgot that you told me that 100% told you that like well before Christmas I believe that and I was also like and his name is Rufus Tiger yeah first Ugh. of all we talk about that Roger Taylor named his son Rufus Tiger <laughs> I mean it's kind of a cute name I, like, I, guess. I actually kind of like Rufus. Rufus is a kind of cute name. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it was the 80s. All right. Or the early um, 90s? It was somewhere, it was somewhere I don't around know. there. I I think it was the 80s. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, he had... Actually, most of the men in Queen had interesting love lives. Except John Deacon. I think he's just been married to the same woman and has... Since 1975. And has six children. Yes. Woof. Yeah. Too many kids. He is certainly a regular Joe. These days, anyway. Well, he was working overtime on making babies. <laughs> he was getting some. Because here's the thing. Regularly. Like, this guy is out on the road all the time. Still managed to have six kids. How do you do that? You fuck a lot when you're home. <laughs> Like, kids, here's some fucking money. Go get the fuck out of the house and bone in your mom. Yep. And that's how John Deacon fucking rolled. And Good that's how the Deacon clan came to be. <laughs> the mysterious Less- lore behind the Deacon Lessons clan. Lessons in sex from John Deacon. <laughs> hey, bases get freaky. You don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. We can do I do things. know. <laughs> You're like, I've dated bases. It's fine. Actually, I haven't. Surprisingly, no, I have not dated. Oh, I have dated many good. a musician. Bassists aren't good enough for you. But I have dated many a musician that can play bass, but that is not their primary instrument. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good enough. Good enough. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hello. And today, as you are probably well aware, is our third and final episode in the installment of Queen. It's almost over. It's almost over. Sad, but also kind of a relief. Yeah, it's a big story. It's a big story. And if you have stuck with us thus far, thank you. Yes. And, like, good on you because Queen's the fucking best band ever. Okay, that's my opinion. But I'll take... I'm I'm, I'm giving it to you. (laughs) This is my opinion. I'm going to give it to you in a little nice little box. Here it is. I'll take it. Thank you. I love Queen. Yes. Love Queen. And for this evening, we are drinking... Keegan Ales, not Kegels, Keegan Ales, <laughs> Mother's Milk. 
And that is because of the song Mother Love, which is on the final album of Queen, Made in Heaven. And it's actually a pretty poignant song. So this is really a... Here's to you, Freddie. So cheers to Freddie real quick. Ching, ching. It's going to be a rough one, guys. I you may or may not... probably need your Kleenex. Oh, I'm, I'm... I've been crying all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, legit crying on and off whenever I do my notes. And I'm like, get I was, the part I've got to cry at. I was listening to Innuendo, and as soon as the mm. show must go on came on, I was like, <gasps> like, ugly crying at my work desk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, thank God nobody's here, because I can't. That's my goal. Not a dry eye in you this room. probably don't even have to try. I'm... Definitely like a like a contact crier. Like if Ooh. I even think of something sad or if I see somebody else crying or something that's just really emotional, I'm like instant waterworks. You know, there's really only four things that I can consistently cry at. And that's Freddie Mercury's death, mm-hmm. as we have discussed in the end of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. The Futurama episode, Jurassic oh, Bark. Uh, can't no! even look at a gif. Can't even look at a no! gif of it. No, fuck, and, fuck that. In this American Life podcast, <laughs> every other episode will make me cry for some unbeknownst reason. I yeah. will be like, why is this touching me? Oh, oh my God, this is just what life is. Oprah would always make me cry. <laughs> when I was younger and Oprah was still on, every fucking afternoon at four o'clock, I was like, I'm going to end up crying. It's not even sad. No. She could be giving people things. And I'm like, oh my God, people are getting such great things. I, oh, this is beautiful. Like, what's wrong with me? I cannot show emotion in any other instance nope. of my life. No. But if I watch Oprah or the end of Lord of the Rings, I'm dead. Yeah. I'm just dead. Yeah. I'm usually an emotionless robot, but. Yep. Oprah and those fucking hobbits just chisel at my cold, dead heart every oh, time. God. Every time. Every fucking time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> it works. 100% of the time, every, every time. time. Yep. Yes, it does. Oh, man. It's better than Sex Panther. <laughs> yeah, I think most things are. <laughs> it just smells like Bigfoot's dick. <laughs> anyway. You know who doesn't smell like Bigfoot's dick? Queen? Queen. I hope. Yeah. I mean, we don't know for sure. I don't think they would have made it this far if they did. So. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. That's a good point. All right. Well, let's get into it. Buckle up, fuckos. It's, it's <laughs> Buckle gonna, up, fuckos. It's, it's going to get real. It's going to get real real quick. So far in this story, Queen has been building themselves up into something of a legend in the rock genre. Their records always managed to introduce the world to something new, and their live shows were compared to none. Years of hard work and building success finally had Queen as one of the top bands in the world. Honestly, though, that's a lot of pressure for four perfectionists. In order to deal with the stress, they each looked to their own vice. Look, they were all incredibly secretive about their personal lives, so we don't know too much about what exactly they were going through, just that it was a tough time. You get pieces here and there, but overall, not really sure. Isn't it kind of well known that John had a real big alcohol problem? It is not well known, and it doesn't... They don't or it's play just it rumor. off that it was a big problem. Okay. A it's mild just, problem. It, he was literally referred to as a mild alcoholic. <laughs> he was us. All right. That's not a, <laughs> real. That's fine. not bad. He's fine. He was a millennial before his time. <laughs> he was really, he was a real trailblazer. <laughs> Freddie is the only one that didn't hide his party lifestyle. And throughout the early 80s, he was known for over-the-top events wherever he went. 
which would land him and Queen in a negative light via the press, who were already looking for any reason to neg on them. Mm. Turns out the 80s were a little rough on Queen. I, yeah. <laughs> Might surprise some people to hear. <laughs> the 80s were a little tough on this band. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in more ways than one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they probably didn't get as good reviews from the critics as they should as they could have and because freddie was partying all the time they were like oh why is he partying?" and they were the more time? concerned about his sexuality than right. they were about their music which is incredibly infuriating especially in a 2019 where we're like right. who gives a shit but to be fair the 80s were rough on everyone exactly <laughs> really rough on everyone nobody had a good time in the 80s if they no. were over the age of four which no. we weren't, so... They were not having such a good time. Holler to, ba- holler to 80s babies. We got through this real easy. Yeah, they really didn't start off the 80s well. Because... No. Because their, fir- their first album, after Flash Gordon... After the war... Okay. After the game... It was Flash Gordon. After Flash Gordon. hmm And then they went back into the studio for their next album. Ooh. Presumably, the hot disco music of the 70s helped to usher in the dance music of the 80s, and Queen even played a small part with Another One Bites the Dust, whose positive reaction in the club scene really pleased Freddie and John, and they were both inspired by the sweet beats and wanted to keep the rhythm flowing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Brian and Roger, however, did not like the direction that they were headed in. It seemed that Freddie's love for the gay scene was making its way into their music. And while that's there's nothing wrong with that on paper, it did lead to a lot of arguing within the band, which could sometimes escalate into more personal attacks than the usual constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. So they're back in Munich. They're fighting a bunch again. Woof. Nobody likes Munich. Everyone's... <laughs> well, Freddie loves Munich. Freddie fucking loves it, but nobody else does. Yeah. Brian tells a story about how people would actually jump off buildings and kill themselves. Oh. Yeah, he's like, this is a really terrible place. Which is interesting because I don't... Munich was not part of uh, the Soviet era. The 80s were rough on everyone. They really were. Even Munich. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, Berlin was the one that still had the wall. Of course. So, but the rest of Germany was, you know... a free country for the quote-unquote free country for the most part so i don't know i don't know i I guess maybe there was still remnants of you know utilitarian germany in munich Yeah, i mean it was only 40 years after world war ii and right yeah i'm gonna give it to them i'm gonna say you know what you get to have a bad time it's fine (laughs) you earned this I guess. Ooh. Take your time. Just take, take your, your time. time. It's fine. They're fine now. It, they are. Munich is a beautiful city. I love it. I would go back in a heartbeat. Love you, Munich. Love you. Well, all of this culminated in their 10th studio album, Hot Space. A.K.A. Hot Mess. <laughs> I mean, it's such it's such an obvious pun. I don't know why I still think it's funny. I have been I sitting on that for a week. <laughs> You're like, oh my god, talk about hot space, talk about hot space. As soon as she says hot space, I'm going to call it a hot mess. And she did it. Perfect. She pulled it off. pulled it off. Yay. (laughs) Done. No more jokes for the rest of the episode. All right. There we go. (laughs) Well, this album is a total hodgepodge of genres ranging from funk to disco to R&B to pop rock. For this album, there was absolutely no chance of them using the 
no synthesizers mantra because it was uh, filled with them. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, that's not what the fans wanted to hear, and this was low-hanging fruit for the critics to rip apart. It was 1982, so disco was dead by now, making many feel Queen was late to the game on this. And this album failed, really, to do as well as their previous releases, and made many question if they lost their touch. I mean, yeah, I I, I get where they were coming from. They kind right. of were late. They were pretty late to right. it. So... It didn't really translate very well. Right. Well, I mean, usually they can manage to bring everything together for one cohesive album and it all fits. And right. Hot Space 100% is not like that. You know, Freddie and John were both heavily influenced by the gay scene and the black music, respectively. Um, Brian still loved his heavy metal. And Roger kind of find, found himself somewhere in between. And he dabbled like in a little bit of new wave and stuff. So it really leaves this overall jarring experience as far as Hot Space is concerned because there's so much that doesn't... Which one of these is not like the other? None of these are like anything. Yeah, they don't really relate very well at all. No. And and normally with a Queen album, you can kind of... they, They piece it together so you understand the whole picture. At least with like... Which actually really goes with the cover of the album, which is also very different from what they normally do with the neon kind of Andy Warhol Beatles style of like their faces and the colors. And it was... Each one was starkly different than the next. Very different. I never thought about that till just now. That's really... Huh. All right. I mean, at least they they knew. Yeah. They knew it was a fucking hot mess. But I mean... If it's going to be a hot mess, you may as well embrace it. It's our hot mess, goddammit. Yeah, but I mean, usually in a Queen album, you can see where, you know, John is coming from Mm -hmm. and where Freddie's coming from and how Brian relates to both of them. Right, they'll they'll inspire, they kind of work off of each other. And then you have Roger's songs that come in and kind of loosen everything up a bit. Yes. So everyone's not so tight-assed through the whole record. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how every Queen album is. But this one was just so disjointed and just didn't make sense in relation to each song. Did not make sense. Right. It just doesn't work on a whole. But, you know, it isn't all bad. Michael Jackson cites Hot Space as one of his main influences when creating the album Thriller. And if you listen to the song Back Chat, pay attention to Brian May's guitar solo because it's very reminiscent of Eddie Van Halen's solo in Beat It. Huh. And I definitely, when I listened to it, I'm like, oh, oh. And then when I was looking everything up and I was like, of course Michael Jackson was inspired from this. So maybe without Hot Space, we wouldn't have Thriller. Maybe. Or at least not Thriller as we know it. Yeah, definitely not Thriller as we know it. Yeah. It would have been slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, there was one rock-solid hit on this album, and it may account for why it still sold rather well. And that would be the song Under Pressure with David Bowie. Yep. This collaboration was the result of total random happenstance. Queen had bought the studio in Montreux, Switzerland, and it was one of the top studios in Europe. So they were like, yeah, we're buying this. And Bowie happened to have a home in Montreux right down the street. And this was about probably a year before they really started working on Hot Space. Oh, just happened to live down the street. Right? Well, one day he's like, <laughs> I'm going to go visit the Queen in the studio. And after a few drinks, they thought it'd be pretty rad to have a collaboration together. Which, yeah. That was yeah. Good. That was a good call, guys. Good drunken call. I like it. If Queen and David Bowie are together in a studio, fucking record something. Yeah, make it happen. 
There are probably about 10 different stories of where the baseline came from. Brian and Roger say John came up with it. John says that Bowie came up with it. Bowie says it was already written before he got there. Roger says that John came up with it, then forgot it. And then after they went to dinner, he managed to remember it. And then Brian says that Bowie had changed it up a bit. Whatever. I don't care. At the end of it all, everyone walked away with a writing credit on it. I also heard a story about how Bowie and Queen were in the studio together and they were with the intention of collaborating on something. Right. And they just weren't coming up with anything good. And David Bowie is getting frustrated. So, like, they were just fucking around and John happened to just play this. And David yeah. Bowie's like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Fucking write it down. Because that's our hit or yeah. whatever. It's it's so weird. There, yeah, I've heard that story. There's yeah. so many fucking different stories. The only story that matters is that it's that itty bitty ting. <laughs> you know who really did something with it? <laughs> vanilla, vanilla Ice. ice. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Vanilla Ice. Thanks, Vanilla Ice. Whew. Really Here. brought something to cultural zeitgeist on that one, didn't you? Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice. <laughs> It was a very sensitive project to be a part of because, as Brian said later, quote, It was hard because you had four very precocious boys and David, who was precocious enough for all of us. David took over the song lyrically. Bowie and Freddie would take turns in the recording booth, and they weren't supposed to hear what the other was singing, but Bowie would poke his head in during Freddie's sessions to hear what he was doing. And then Fred mentioned how impressed he was to the producer that Bowie could riff off him. And the producer was just like, yeah, it's not all that hard if you're sneaking around and listening. And of course, Freddie's like, oh, that asshole. Ugh. And to that's be why, a fly on the wall. Right? And that's why Freddie's, and that's what I'm assuming is why Freddie's part sounds so much more improvisational with all the scatting. Whereas and Bowie whereas has David's like don't. legit lyrics. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Hot Space overall is one of Queen's weaker albums. But I am going to say, controversial hot take, after listening to it a couple times, I think it has some real gems on it that were, in a way, before their time. I I actually kind of like some of the dancey songs. I mean, maybe they would have worked more maybe in the 90s? I think it was more of a Freddie solo. Yeah. Like, the first half really reads like Freddie's Mr. Bad Guy album. Uh-huh. And then the second half is a little bit more like a Queen album. But I, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of, I kind of like, like, you know, Dancer and, I don't know, all the fun dancey songs, Back Chat's cool. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not proud of myself. <laughs> it, it's, it is a weak album, but if you take the tracks individually and listen to them, I'm fine with it. I just, I cannot listen to it as a whole. Yeah. It's one of those albums that you probably have to go back to a long time after you were first introduced to it. Which I did. To appreciate some of the better tracks yeah. on it. Yeah. I think every track has its own little place, but it's just, as a unit, it's, it doesn't work at all. Yeah. So, and I can imagine at the time in the 80s when that came out and you were waiting for the next Queen album, and again, people were probably still used to Queen shitting out albums every year, every other year. Yeah. So, the fact that they had to wait a little bit, and then they got this, and they're like, I don't like this. So, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had bands where I was disappointed in what I got, but then I went back years later and I'm like, oh, you know what? This isn't that bad. This was also the time when, like, arena tours and heavy touring started becoming a thing. Yeah. So... 
you had bands on tour for years at a time, so you weren't getting an album a year or right. even an album every six months or so anymore. It's almost like people were like, maybe we should wait between albums so we have really good material to work with. But also, but at the same time, they're not even like, it's not like they're taking downtime. Mm. They're fucking touring the world and like running themselves ragged, which I'm sure Queen was doing because well, they yeah. were huge at that point. So they were doing arena tours around the fucking world. Yeah. I mean, so, exactly. Speaking of that, the album may not have done well, but their tour was still really successful because they always are. Right. I mean, you're not going to not go see Queen right. just because the latest album isn't that great. Yeah. And I mean, this at this point, their shows were total spectacles. People who didn't even like their music that much wanted to be there because it was so high energy and such an amazing set that you just you really had to see it to believe it. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. They would just put that, put out this album and be like, well, we're still going to tour, so here we go. Let's do it. that's where you make all of your money. Mm. Oh, they made their fucking money on tours. Yep. Well, I mean, that's where you make your money now. Back yeah. then, you still made it on record sales. A little bit, but yeah. Well, things changed around a bit, too, as they added a keyboardist to the stage. They hired friend Morgan Fisher from Mott the Hoople. And this made for an easy transition because they'd already toured together, so... They kind of knew what they were doing. So that was nice. Also, Mott the Hoople making yeah. it into episode three. Good job, Mott the Hoople. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> At the end of the U.S. leg of their tour, before going back to the U.K., they had their first and last performance on American television with Saturday Night Live. Despite the fact that Freddie had blown out his voice due to a fight with his boyfriend, so the story goes. Oh, boy. They still put on a fantastic set of Crazy Little Thing Called Love and Under Pressure. No one even thought for a second that this would be their last North American performance. Something I haven't really mentioned in the previous episodes, but has been prevalent throughout all of Queen's time, is that Freddie would frequently have vocal problems. It would seem to be that uh, he would strain his voice during live performances. Look, Freddie was unmatched in his singing. I ain't gonna mm -hmm. fight that. You know I'm not gonna fight that. However, the argument can be made that his technique was a bit inconsistent, making for a lot of damage to his nodules that would sometimes put the possibility to perform in jeopardy. He pretty much always still performed. Rarely did they ever cancel. But what it was is, yeah, he could, like, scream sing and shout sing, but that's very bad on your voice. Right. And especially back then, I don't think he had a vocal coach to kind of work him through like, it. I was just going to say, he should have hired a vocal teacher of right. some kind to teach him how to sing correctly so he didn't do that. Right. And if you notice throughout their entire discography, as you get closer to the last few albums, he really doesn't do that as much anymore because he, he can't. <laughs> And, like, his octave range went down a little a bit. Lot. I mean, I think it enriched his lower range, which was still it really did. good. Yeah, because on Innuendo, he uses his lower range a lot more than he does his higher there range. There are a few times when he hits that high range, though, and you're like, shoot. Oh, yeah. I think he learned to just save it. That's yeah. what it was. He didn't abuse it anymore. He saved it. Yeah. And so, tip for singers out there. Don't scream sing. It's really yeah. bad for your voice. If you want to be able to sing for like three decades, don't scream sing. Right. Because it's kind of funny because ugh, I can't remember what the documentary was or what TV show or whatever it was, but it was about like singers and their vocal cords Ooh. and like what happens to them. And they focus on Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, oh which <laughs> he can't. 
can't what? He can't do the same stuff anymore. Oh, no. His not voice at sounds all. insanely different. Oh, yeah. Because he abused the shit. And he also, did the same thing. Let's like, all throw in there drugs and alcohol and smoking. Yeah, not great for your voice. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> if there's a clear way to destroy the thing that has made you famous and gotten you a shit ton of money. It's smoking It's smoking and probably snorting coke. Yeah. Snorting coke probably doesn't do a whole lot of good for your throat. No. And arguably alcohol is not great either. Right. Says the two podcasters (laughs) drinking beer right now. But... I mean, we're not slamming shots, so <laughs> in this documentary, they they actually put a camera in his throat Oof. and showed you what his vocal cords <gasps> do when he sings, and he basically made, makes his vocal cords bleed oh. when he sings, and, they're, and the doctor's like, yeah, you can't do this anymore. Yeah. You either need surgery or you need to rest your voice and take, like, legit lessons on how to sing correctly. Well, and Freddie did that, too, on certain songs. When he's really going all out, mm-hmm. he makes his vocal cords bleed. Yeah. So, and, yeah, and it's like, not you good could, for you. You could see, like, in real time the fucking destruction Oof. he was doing to Oof. his vocal cords. And like, yeah, no, this is not the career path for me. I can't sing anyway, but... But even I mean... still, I mean, at least you would know better. Right. You'd know better. <laughs> By the end of the Hot Space Tour, Queen was more drained than ever. Lots of unproductive infighting, life de- lifestyle excesses, and overall physical mental exhaustion. They needed a damn break. So they took they one. They haven't had a break since 1974. Right. So they finally took one. Good. For 1983, Queen took time off from touring, but were still going in and out of the studio for their next album. This was done within two studios, Musicland in Munich and record plant in L.A. This gave some of the members the chance to express themselves in other creative projects. <laughs> Enter the solo albums. Oh, boy. Roger released his second solo album, Strange Frontier. His first was Fun in Space, which was released in 1981, a few years Fun before. Fun in Space? Fun in Space with Roger Taylor. Nerds! <laughs> <laughs> oh, just you fucking oh, wait. Oh, I can't wait. The new This new album had Roger playing most of the instruments himself, but his bandmates actually did help out on a few tracks. Overall, it didn't do much, and Roger really didn't have time to promote it, as they would soon be out on the works tour. It didn't do much, probably because he wasn't ta- he wasn't singing about fucking cars. So <laughs> Cars I mean... in space! Oh my god, the Tesla! He should write a song about the Tesla in space! <laughs> what are you doing with your life right oh now, Roger? Oh my god, we need to write... Guys, we need to petition Roger Taylor to write a song about the car, the, the Tesla, Tesla in space. In space. <laughs> oh my god, yes! It's this commute sequel to I'm in love with my car! Oh! oh. This is, and then we can turn it into like a Broadway musical, and it will be fantastic. Guys, we can really go far with and this I, concept. And I hate musicals, so you know... But you're here for it. I'm here for it. Alright, let's fucking make it happen. Brian kept busy as well. As they were recording in LA, he hooked up with our friend from Van Halen, <sighs> Eddie Van Halen. From there, they got REO Speedwagon's drummer, Alan Gratzer. REO Speedwagon was involved with this? Oh, yeah. Oh, that explains oh, yeah. a lot. And they also had Phil Chen, a session, a session drummer for Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart, and Queen session keyboardist Fred Mandel. The resulting EP was called The Starfleet Project. And oh, boy, would I like to talk to you oh, about this. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Starfleet. 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 Please. It's so bad, it's good. 
when you have a moment, you need to look up the video for Brian May and Friends Starfleet Project. If you don't look it up, I will describe it to you. It is literally a floating Brian May head going, Starfleet, Starfleet. Starfleet. <laughs> so you really, really need to know. Really fell down the rabbit hole with this one. Oh my god! Oh no. my god! There's, there's, there is some there is some backstory to this. Please the, tell me. The EP contains three tracks: Starfleet, <laughs> Starfleet, <laughs> Let Me Out, and Blue Breaker. The only one that made any noise was Starfleet. <laughs> A song that was the cover of a children's show of the same name. Yeah. Like we are wont to do here in the West, Starfleet is an English dubbed version of a Japanese marionette TV ser- series called X Bomber. The song by Brian May and Friends is a cover of that English theme song. Cause they nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Nerd. Like, like it's and like kind this of is like... a nerd just saying to another nerd. You a nerd. It's kind of like if Ed Sheeran were to do a cover of the theme from Power Rangers and expand on it. Right? Has that not happened? Because that should happen. This might, <laughs> should. That, might, that might tip me over into liking Ed Sheeran. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe like, maybe not even Ed Sheeran. Maybe like Imagine Dragons. Oh, Cardi B. Or... <laughs> Please, Cardi B, do that. Oh, my God, please, oh, my God, Cardi please B. do that. This please cover the Power Rangers for. theme song. Oh, my Things God. Things that we need to happen in 2019. Roger Taylor <laughs> we, wrote a song about the Tesla in space. Cardi B, cover the Power Rangers we theme We have song. a lot of petitions to start up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, what is it? Change.org? We're going to be on. hitting them up hard. Oh, yeah. So hard. <laughs> Brian originally had no plans to release this album. He would have held on to it as a memory of fun times with, that he had with other talented musicians. But because of this, there was minimal mixing and editing done to the tapes. So what you hear is all pretty pure and untouched. Starfleet! Starfleet! Starfleet. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, the video's great. It's clips from the marionette anime show and, and Brian May's giant floating head. And I felt like it went on for. Ever. It's only like four and a half minutes. But it feels like it goes on forever. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is pretty great. It's a it's it's something. It is something. You should go see it <laughs> right now. We'll wait. Freddie worked on a single for Giorgio Mordaire's 1984 restored version of the classic film Metropolis called Love Kills, and he was also working on a solo album, but that wouldn't be released until 1985 with Mr. Bad Guy. Okay. But he was slowly working on it during that time as well. Mm. Their 11th studio album, The Works, was released on the EMI label and sister company Capitol Records in the U.S., as at this point they decided to leave Elektra after Hot Space was a lackluster experience. They really came back to their familiar rock sound, but also kept the more new wave elements as well. When they got back together, they seemed a little more refreshed, and Roger stated that they should, quote, "...give them the works." Hence the album name. I mean, they were a bit more focused. Yeah, this I is overall like. like just a nice marriage of everyone's musical influences. Yeah. Everybody really needed a break. If like, they had taken a break before recording Hot Space, then I think it would have come out differently. It would have. But also I'm kind of glad that they didn't. I'm kind of glad that they took the break before the works because I love the works. The works is a 
banger of an album. It is. I have had Radio Gaga stuck in my head. Oh, so good. For so long now. It's so good. But it's such a good song. It really is. And that's actually the best part about this is that every member had their own hit single. Yeah. Roger's Radio Gaga, which was inspired by his very young son, probably Rufus Tiger. I think so. Oh, my God. He was calling the music on the radio, Radio Kaka. Which I think is kind of great. And they're like, Kaka means shit, basically. Wait, have have you never heard anybody say Kaka before? No. Really? Yeah. Oh, I oh, say it all thing? the time. I thought that was a. I thought that was like a British it's thing. It's not a strictly British thing. Oh. I say caca all the time. I didn't. I've never heard you. Well, now you got to start fucking using it more because oh, I've never I will because it's it. a great word. Caca. Uh, the way caca. the way Roger explains it too, just the way he says caca. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> then John had I want to break free, which I guess in the original conception was supposed to be about the women's liberation movement. From the male perspective, which I guess in the 80s is woke, but then it took on a new life about finding one's personal freedom. Okay. So, I mean, okay. That's it's fine. still It's still a sweet jam. I kind of like the idea of everybody finding their own way of breaking free better than the women's movement through the eyes of a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if, like, because they realize, like, maybe this isn't it's con- it's the much, right message, guys. It's much less condescending. It is. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure John didn't mean it in that way. No, so, I'm but sure either he way, didn't. It's, it's good that he kind of turned it around. Yeah. And, of course, there's Brian's Hammer to Fall. And those lyrics were influenced from the fear of nuclear attack during the Cold War. I love that song. Hammer to Fall's a... Jam. And I realized earlier that I'm pretty sure most of my favorite Queen songs are Brian songs. No, a lot of my favorites are Brian, too. Yeah. It's mostly tied with Brian and Freddie. No yeah. offense to Roger and John, but they're those two just every... I think my second would be John. Like, oh, okay. my favorite songs are mostly Brian songs, and then, like, my second favorite songs are John songs. Okay. That's... I mean... They're all good. Yeah. And then, of course, we finish up with Freddie's It's a Hard Life, which was a song about his difficulty in finding love. And it's really funny because Brian and Roger fucking hated the music video for it. Oh. Because they, they had to dress in these stuffy outfits and Roger had this big stuffy Victorian collar. It's, it's a bit grandiose. But Brian says he kind of likes how ridiculous it is because it's he's they really love the song. Because it is Freddy kind of exposing himself to being like, I'm still so lonely, even though I have all this stuff. Yeah. And the video, I guess, really exemplifies that. However, <laughs> Roger's like, I hated what I had to wear. John and I looked like idiots. Wait, wait, wait. Freddy was wearing a big, like, red crab. Pra- they called it the big prawn suit. <laughs> and it was ridiculous. But wait. So they didn't like that. But were they okay with the I want to break free video? They loved <laughs> filming i want to break free because they're all dressed as women they, which is amazing and freddie didn't even shave his mustache which i think is fantastic he was going to and the director said no no don't don't keep it <laughs> it was actually roger's girlfriend's idea to film i want to break free like that that's actually really cute right and no he loved it he i guess he would like mess around with one of the crewmen or maybe the director i can't remember who and when he was in drag and they'd pretend to be, like, flirting and having an affair whenever, like, the guy's girlfriend would come in. <laughs> he was really... He's... there. They would re You can find on YouTube Brian and Roger going through commentary on their music videos. 
And, like, they kind of joke around, like, Roger, you had a really good time with this. And he's like, yeah, I fucking did. And you know who else had a really good time with it? Freddie. All the people that did all of these slash fiction from this music video between Brian and Roger. Roger did a favor to the fan art industry, I'll say that. Yes, he did. And so speaking of the music video for I Want to Break Free, um, that became a crazy scandal for Queen. I'm sure it did. Like we said, they dress up in drag. They're parodying this British soap opera called Coronation Street. And while the UK absolutely loved it, they thought it was the funniest thing. It really made them popular and like kind of like warmed their hearts to Queen Mm -hmm. again. But America despised it. They said that Queen was just a bunch of transvestites being bad influences on the youth. On the youths. On the youths. Whatever. Because we're real cool here in the US. It's just. Good job, guys. Good job. All I can think of is like Mike Pence in like Bumblefuck Indiana, just clutching like, his pearls, clutching his you theoretical keeps, pearls. No, he keeps pearls on him. You he know keeps it. His pearls up his butt. Woof. And he was clenching them real tight because he could not <laughs> deal with this video. Clenching them, pearls. it's just ruining the youths and ruining the corrupting their minds. Ugh, it it was so ridiculous our reaction and threatening to it. our christian values <gasps> my god mtv asked them to do another video but queen outright refused good for them so the video was banned and after that there would be a divide it was banned because they were dressed as women yeah fucking fuck off <laughs> just fucking fuck yeah it was banned because they were dressed like women and it was 84, and we weren't ready for that in America. Uh, Clenching our pearls right in our butts. <laughs> After that, there would be a divide in Queen's relationship with the U.S. for decades. They refused to tour there, and with that, never again would we have the pleasure of seeing Freddie or John on stage. No. So, thanks, guys. Thanks, America. Good fucking job. Skeet, skeet, fucking assholes. <laughs> Just always skeet, skeet. <laughs> but the video is hilarious. If you haven't seen it, it's a good time. It is wonderful. Get on it. <laughs> but the U.S. was not the only place Queen got themselves in trouble. For the works tour, they decided to make a stop in South Africa's Sun City during the time of the apartheid. Oh. Yeah, this didn't sit well with the British Musicians Union, who fined them heavily for the act, as well as the United Nations, who put them... With their blacklisted artists. But why? Okay. So I understand. Don't ask me too much about the apartheid. I can't tell you. I forgot about everything I learned in social studies when I was in high school. I didn't even learn about that in high school. I drink a lot. (laughs) Um, Okay. I won't ask questions. I'm sorry. Like, I tried to look up a little bit about the apartheid. It's racist and shitty. That's what oh, you need yeah. to know. Oh, yeah. No, I know like, about... all I can really say is, like, it was racist and shitty, and it was not a good time. Yeah. I mean, I know about... I know about apartheid. Right, right, right. I just... I don't really understand why... I I guess Basically I can figure way, out why Britain wouldn't want them yeah, to be there. Yeah, they looked at it as, like, you were supporting this segregation and racism and terrible behavior, and... I would imagine the people... British were like, um, you're supporting the... People wanting to have like not be oppressed, which I guess wouldn't be very 
cool with oh, the they, British I think government. they looked at it as like you were supporting the people who were oppressing. And that's oh, that's okay. why I'm not too into the politics of it. I mean, if you if listeners, if you know what's going on with those politics, you can you are more than welcome to correct us or to let us know what the deal was. I I'm going to say be the per- first person to tell you I'm not a history person and I'm mm-hmm. very bad at global history, especially. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the Actually, situation is. Actually, that's a lie. Is. I was great at global history when I was in high school. I was too. That but was like, one of my guess favorite who's not, fucking classes. Guess who's not in high school anymore? Oh, <laughs> it's us. It's been a while. It's been a while. Look, Queen stands by their decision, even with all the grief that it brought them. They claim that they are not a political band, and they wanted to play to fans everywhere, even Sun City. They also said that they would be playing to integrated audiences. But honestly, it was I, pretty white. It was pretty white. I'm going to say, no. No. You probably didn't. There may have been they a probably few, didn't allow there it. There may have been a few people of color in your audience, but overall, I'm sure you mostly played to white people. I mean, I really don't think that like, there maybe were a like whole a lot couple? of- I really don't think there were a whole lot of people of color there, because if they did go there, they would probably at least be threatened. I don't, I don't know what the situation was or how- from what I gather, that area wasn't too bad, but I think the general place at the time, I, again, like, I'm really, I'm really weak sauce on the politics of it all, because yeah. I started to go down that rabbit hole, and I'm like, oh, I'm very confused. Ooh, I don't want to get my facts wrong, so, but again, anybody who knows what's up with that, you're more than welcome to hit us up and let us know, because I would love to learn it, but yeah. I'm also really dumb, and I don't learn things that well. <laughs> These are all notes, guys, that I have to write down for myself. You think this is from memory? Hell no. But overall, in an attempt to make amends, they released a live album only in South Africa where all the proceeds would go to a school for the deaf, and they attended the Black African Music Awards down there. So they tried to kind of make up for it. I don't... I suppose. I mean, and I wasn't... Oh, God, no. We were we were just born when this happened, so we don't know. 84? Yeah, it was 84. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't really know. Yeah. I was not really cognizant for... I wasn't too active in politics when I was three months old. <laughs> surprise, surprise. By the mid-80s, Queen was almost seen as a band that was beginning to pass its prime days. With the majority of the guys releasing solo albums, some wondered if this was where they would start to go their separate ways. But one iconic day in music history would give them the, as Roger put it, shot in the arm that they needed to boost themselves back into 12th gear. Live Aid. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's anyone in the music world was playing that day. All the proceeds went to help starving children in Africa. So first of all, it's a good deed. But secondly, the whole world would be watching. And actually, at first, Queen wasn't all that interested. Organizer Bob Geldof told them they had no choice. Freddie especially. Bob Geldof. He came in and it's like, you're, you're doing it. And they're like, I guess we're doing it. Someday we need to do an episode on Bob fucking Geldof. Yes. <laughs> I would love to go through his. The layers on that story. The, the layers of that onion. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and believe me, he was an onion. <laughs> he probably smelled like onions. Once Queen got into rehearsals, though, they were one of the few bands to take it seriously. They only had 18 minutes, so they planned out a meticulous playlist that would not only be well-known to the audience, but remembered for decades to come. And one thing that came in clutch for Queen's performance was when their sound engineer, Trip switched the limiters without anyone noticing. This way, they would literally be the loudest band to perform. 
Again, Freddie's voice was on the fritz, but they went out anyway and put on the number one most memorable live performance ever. I could not tell you any other performance. I don't remember any other performance from Live Aid. I was listening in Peter Hintz's book. He talks about the Who performing, and they were kind of shitty about it, I guess. Like, they, well, they went over their 18 the minutes who, and, so. like, refused to get off stage when they were supposed to. Uh, not Something surprising. Like that. Yeah. It, they, yeah. So, I guess there were a lot of but other I mean, people. Yeah, I but think that's... Led Zeppelin had, like, a bit of a reunion for that as well. Mm-hmm. So, there, yeah, were, some, there were some big deal things happening. But once Queen were playing, mm-hmm. everybody knew. They're like, oh... But like, These fuckers are stealing the show. I remember their songs. I remember what Freddie was wearing. Mm-hmm. I remember what Brian was wearing. Right. Like I remember the ballet I rem- that Freddie was doing with the camera. Yeah. Like I remember all of these things. Oh yeah. And they were at a bit of a disadvantage because, you know, normally their live routines have such a huge setup to them, and this time around they're going bare bones. Yeah. So it's all just them, and mm-hmm. they still. Knocked it right out of the park. Brian recalls being blown away at the audience clapping along to Radio Gaga. As this wasn't really their audience, it wasn't a queen show. It was just everybody in the world. But the energy was so electric, people couldn't help but be a part of it. And it was a massive arena it was, full of people. Oh and like, even if you didn't really know Queen, what what, what, what rock what were are you, you doing? Yeah, right? what are you sleeping doing under for the last 10 years? Even if you didn't know them or didn't like them, you probably still knew Radio Gaga and right. you knew the clapping parts. So you did it. Yeah. So you had an entire massive arena of people, plus everybody at home, like, Just clapping along to Getting into it. it. Yeah. Yeah. This this was Queen's, like, peak moment in uh, public memory. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, so at this point, like... The whole band, most notably Freddie, finally had the entire world focused on them. It was something they'd always dreamed. And now with this fresh breath of air, they went back into the studio to absolutely kill it for their next release. At least that's what I think. I guess not everyone liked this album, which Wait, I'm like, which I'll get to it. They were approached by Russell Mulcahy, a longtime fan of the group, to do music for a film he was working on called Highlander. Initially, ah. they were unsure as the they didn't want to take away from time in the studio on their next album, but after seeing a 20-minute clip, they were totally on board. And this wasn't like the Flash Gordon soundtrack. They didn't create the entire thing, but they worked with main composer Michael Kamen to bring their songs into the story. Those songs comprise a large part of their next studio album, A Kind of Magic, which serves as an unofficial Highlander soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Six out of the nine tracks were created for the film, And you can pretty easily point them out as they are pretty heavy-handed with Highlander references. Brian, who wrote Who Wants to Live Forever, which of course alludes to the immortality aspect of the plot, they performed that with the National Philharmonic Orchestra. Got real fancy with it. What year did A Kind of Magic come out? 86. Okay. Okay. It was the year after they did Live Aid. Okay. Yep. And something funny that I'd like to note here is that Brian said he wrote the song after watching, I mean, I guess spoilers, this is a movie's like 30 years old, but spoilers. Uh, he watched the scene where Heather McLeod dies and, you know, yeah, he's like, oh my God, my wife's dead, but I'm still alive. 
But you know what? I noticed when listening to the Flash Gordon soundtrack, because like I said, throughout all the tracks, they have clips from the movie playing. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the characters shouts at one point, who lives forever anyway? Because they were in the middle of a fight. And I was like, I think oh. it's totally subconscious. It has to be. But I think it's funny that that's in the Flash Gordon movie. And then he puts that at the end of Who Wants to oh, Live Forever. Funny. And there's like a little continuity in the two soundtracks they made. Look at you, Brian May. I don't know if he meant to do it because he never brought that up in any interview that I've seen. I don't think he, you should contact him. Brian May, did you know you did this? <laughs> did you know you did this, And Brian? he'll probably be like, I, I did know I did that. I just didn't need to make a big fucking deal about it. Or he probably won't even address it because he is too busy being in Queen. I'm still in Queen, still an astronomer, still being a boss-ass bitch. Yeah. Brian May, boss-ass bitch. Can't hate him for it. God damn it. This album opens with the song One Vision, which, after a lot of thinking, might be my favorite Queen song. Really? Yeah. Because it just, it builds from this low rumble into a high energy rock anthem. It feels like they're working together as a cohesive unit again, and they're getting their groove back. And it's just such a, it gets me amped. I'm like ready to get into like a noble fight or something. I should listen to it before I play D&D. Like I just, I want to... I don't know, I want to take over the world when I hear One Vision. I'm like, yes, let's do this. We all have One Vision. Let's do it, guys. Let's do it. So, yeah, I don't know. I just I really like that song. And it's a really good way to start the album. And I think it was a really good way for them to say, hey, guys, no, we're still here. It's fine. We know Hot Space was a mess. But, like, One Vision? <laughs> but Highlander, though, there can only be one. Yeah, and there can be only one queen. There is only one queen. Yeah. I don't buy into this Adam Lambert shit. We'll get to that. We'll get to it. (laughs) That's happening here. Don't worry. The album was released in June 1986, and they soon followed that with an, of course, successful 26-date tour. This was another stressful time for the band. So Brian's marriage was failing, and he began to start seeing actress Anita Dobson. And there was a lot of, you know, tabloid fodder for that. Who was she? She was in the show, what is it, EastEnders? Oh, she was in English. A British actress, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Nobody I know. Yeah. So, like, Brian was going through a lot with that. I don't know her. (laughs) But you don't. There was still a lot of drinking. As we mentioned earlier, John was a mild alcoholic. (laughs) Mild to today today's standards. I guess I don't know. That's what that's what they say in interviews. Is mild alcoholic. I I guess at the end of one show, towards the end of their tour for the Magic Tour, uh-huh. he threw his bass just into a speaker, just raged out. That's so weird to think of quiet John little John Deacon, yeah. quiet little Deaky, yeah, throwing his bass yeah. into. His- Speaker, like he's fucking Kurt Cobain or something. You probably had too much tequila. <laughs> too much tequila. It makes you a shithead. It does make you a shithead. <laughs> and, and apparently in Peter Hintz's book, he says, John did that, but that like was very apologetic. Like, I'm really sorry. That wasn't a nice I'm thing so to do. I'm so sorry. That's just not So he was better so than sorry. like a lot of guys from the alternative and grunge era where they're too like, fuck you, whatever. But like, John's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm drunk. <laughs> What? He just goes back up to his like, I'm sorry, I need really, this. I need, I need it to this. Like I everybody need... has a moment though. Like when maybe when you're drunk, maybe when you're sober, where you just need to lash out really quick and then you're like, 
Oh, I feel so much better. Ooh, I'm sorry. He's like, oh, like, fuck this. Fuck it up. No, but I need this tomorrow. So well, I'm, I'm sorry. Just, I'm, I'm sorry, just, guys. I'm just going to take it back. I'm sorry about the sorry. amp. I'm sorry. sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. 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 And I mean, Roger was still venturing out on side projects, but he was also dealing with a divorce at that time as well. Man. So a lot of... A lot of drama bombs going on in Queen like, at this point. Everybody's relationships are failing. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Their last stop was in England at Nebworth Park in front of 120,000 fans. Freddie ended the show walking on stage adorned in his crown and magnificent cape, mm-hmm. telling the crowd, good night and sweet dreams. No one knew it, but that would be the last time Freddie Mercury would ever grace the stage. Wow. That's like... 1986. Wow. That's actually a long time before the last album comes out. I know. That's crazy. Mm. It was the 80s. And Freddie is living a precarious lifestyle and taking a lot of risks. He's not just a rock star. He's a legend. And there has to be a feeling of invulnerability that comes with that. On top of that, he is someone who indulges in as much of life as possible. But by 1987, there was something creeping in the background that he could no longer ignore. Freddie was diagnosed as HIV positive. And in those days, that was a death sentence. We didn't have the medical advances that we have now. And the stigma associated with the disease was vitrolic. So while he would remain private about his illness, right before his death, the tabloids could see his health failing and the constant exhaustion and weight loss that he was dealing with. They were crude and merciless in their coverage because they dicks. Also, British press. We've said it time and time again. Say it again. They are ruthless. But Fred didn't give up and walk away. Oh, no. He worked harder than ever with a new resolve. When Queen got back into the studio, he sat the guys down and told them, look, you probably know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm suffering from, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just want to make music until the day I fucking die. From there, the band became more private than ever, and everyone became very protective of Freddie. Anyone who knew what was going on told no one. In a lot, in most cases, not even significant others knew what was going on. Huh. Tabloids would harass Roger, Brian, John, and they would just look at them and say, what are you talking about? Freddie's great. I just saw him at the gym the other day. What do you mean? He's working harder than ever. He's doing just great. I don't know why you guys keep saying this shit. They were... Tripling so, down to protect him. So he was diagnosed in 87. Mm-hmm. So by the time he was diagnosed, his health was already in jeopardy. So I assume that's he probably why doctor. he went to the doctor. Right. He went to the doctor because he, he wasn't you feeling good. tired. You're always sick. It's right. like you're, you knew, you know when there's something wrong with you. When my mom got diagnosed with cancer, she stopped smoking a few months beforehand and started acting really weird. And I was like, What's wrong? You're sick. <laughs> Something is very Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. And then yeah. when she told us she had cancer, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do. This all checks out. Yep. Yeah. All right. And they also took a fresh new approach to creating an album, one where every song was credited to the whole band. This took away the dumb arguments that they would have before and let them breathe new life into songs without egos getting in the way. So in 1989, they released the album The Miracle named after the song at track three, while writing credentials were split evenly. May says this was originally a Freddie song, and he thought it was so beautiful because here's a man who's well aware of what his fate is, but he can still sing a song about having hope that the world can be a better place. Every 
Freddie's song after this becomes so much more poignant. Yeah. And so much You hear the difference. Yeah. and You hear his end of life Especially when we get to innuendo, which... (sighs) That's going to be a wolf moment if I ever had one, so... And actually, the miracle holds, like, a little place in my heart because that was the first queen vinyl I ever bought. Oh, that's nice. That was actually one of the things that made me start being like, I'm going to start collecting vinyl. That's actually one that I don't think I have. Oh, look it. I finally have a record you don't. I know. That's it. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> the song Scandal was, in a way, the band calling out the British tabloids for being garbage. How many fucking songs are there calling out the British tabloids as garbage? And, like, they're still garbage. They're still garbage. They're still worse than ever. Brian and Freddie were the prime targets for the hot goss in the papers. And they were just over it. Yeah. And it just goes to show how they could take the high road but still have the last word in something. I mean, if you're a musician and it's it's something that that plagues you every day, of course you're going to write about it and really... that's how you can stick it to them. Yeah, it's because back then you didn't have Twitter, you didn't have social media, you didn't have these like yeah, you can't clap Instagram back videos. instantly with these. You had these to make these paparazzi. really thoughtful, poignant songs where you're like, "No, I'm gonna sh- fucking show you." Yeah, and I, I miss the class of the '80s. And if it's something that gets airplay and you know right goes gets on the charts, yeah, then that's even better. And honestly, "Scandal's a good song. I'm saying it. In 1990, they were honored at the Brit Awards for outstanding contribution to British music. And, of course, the media had a field day when they saw how gaunt and quiet Freddie was when receiving the award. He does look very ill, though, in this, like, in this the... What year was this? 1990. Yeah, by the 90s, he, was, he did not look good. Yeah, but he at kept... All. Guy kept going, though. I he mean, did not stop. I'll give it to him. He acted like nothing was fucking wrong yeah well that's they were all tight-lipped as fuck oh my god they nope you could assume as much as you want but you didn't have words from anyone except apparently at one point paul pretner like sold freddie's story to the tabloids oh yeah he did yeah and that's that's really where paul becomes that big villain that everybody said he was i mean he was just an asshole anyway but that was garbage you don't do that and he did it. He's a yeah. jerk off, so whatever. He also passed away from AIDS, so. Well. Mm. Yeah, but like we said, despite how ill he was, Freddie was relentless. He wanted to immediately get back in the studio and just work on more songs. And like with the previous album, they worked in Mountain Studios in Montreux, which gave them a calm reprieve from the cockroaches in the tabloid industry. They also bought their entire back catalog from Capitol Records, and they went to Hollywood Records, which is a subsidiary of Disney, because Disney's got to own everything. Of course. The resulting album, Innuendo, is bursting with creative tracks, like the title track that harkens back to the days of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. It's driving and intense with multiple movements. It's something you just wouldn't hear on the radio. They even got Yes guitarist Steve Howe to do a solo on it. That I was Spanish ju- guitar solo. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I was... Hell yeah, prog rock. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is right back to their prog roots from their first and second albums. Definitely. Um, you it it so harkens back to that, but also translated for the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, early nineties pre grunge. It's almost like a crisper, cleaner sound. Yeah, but it still has the same feel of their early albums. It's 
Prague as told through a 90s synth. Neo-Prague? Neo-Prague. Yeah. (laughs) That's a thing now. 90s Neo-Prague. They still went ahead and made music videos to help promote the album. And most notably is the one for These Are the Days of Our Lives. Ugh. Yeah. This is a rough that one. That fucking song. The song, Man. the video. Freddie's appearance had changed so drastically that it was premiered in black and white. I guess they filmed it in color, but then altered it to black and white. And they caked makeup on him so he didn't look too sick. Roger had written the song reflecting on his children getting older and just in the ways that your life changes. But what really gets to you is the music video. Yeah. It's sweet and it's simple. Just the band in black and white singing, having a good time. Freddie's wearing a cat vest, which is delightful. Oh, he is. But also, if you look at the, um, like, the full color outtakes, Mm. that is when you're, it's very jarring. It is. When you're like, oh, shit, Freddie was really sick. sick. And his, um... I'm going slightly mad. Yeah. That's on that album, too. Yep. The video for that, he is actually very scary in yeah. because um, they do his makeup and his outfit and his hair to make him look kind of like... He kind of looks like a, the the Joker from the 90s Batman, oh, yeah. but in black and white. It really worked. It worked, but also... He looked fucking sick. Yeah. He looked so sick. And it, but it, it's sad because it worked for the video, I guess. For In that instance, yeah, it did work for that video. Yeah. But but for Days of Our Lives, you get to the end of it. And the last line, Freddie sings it. And then at the end just says, I still love you. And he looks at the camera and he knows that this is the last time that he's going to look Ugh. upon his fans. This is his goodbye. And everybody says that they're like, that's Freddie saying goodbye oh, to I'm everyone. Oh, I'm sure through the entire recording of Innuendo, he knew it was his last album. Yeah. Like, he knew these were the last songs that he was going to yeah. be writing. This was the last album that they were going to put out. So he knew. He did. He went hun- How could you not know? Yeah. I cannot watch the end of this video without tearing up. Yeah. Again, have a hard time with Freddie. I still I have a hard time with Freddie's death. I can't it's listen. Fine. I can't listen to that album without like getting sad. Yeah, it's doing <sighs> a, doing it's, an ugly cry at the end of it. It's yeah. I'm a mess at the end of that. Of course, this album features the show must go on, written Ugh. by Brian for Freddie, and I'll get to that a little bit more in a minute. Uh huh. But I do want to say the song before that, Bijou, is. So gorgeous and severely underrated. It is peak Brian May emotional guitar. Yeah. It is so good. And I'm like, why don't we listen to this more? Well, you know. I've listened to it a butt ton in the past week. That makes, that's a good, like a. And it leads into the show must go on. It's perfect. But that's a good way to describe Brian May's style. When he was with Queen, when Freddie was in it, he. He plays his guitar emotionally. Yes. it's He's not a very good uh, singer. He's, he's fine. He's not really even the greatest lyricist. It's fine. But, like, there's a couple of his songs that are, like, they pierce your heart a little bit, but it's his guitar playing that's really, that's what he pours his emotion yeah. into. I, I would argue he's a good lyricist. I actually really do like there's, his I lyrics. Mean, but, I mean, as far as a singer, he's 
He's got a perfectly fine yeah. voice. Yeah. It's nothing that's going to necessarily stand out, but it's it carries the tune it needs to. Right. And it works for a lot of his songs. Yeah, absolutely. Like 39, yeah. um, Good Company. It works for those songs. Uh, Sail Away, Sweet Sister. Yep. He was really good in that one. Yeah. He's really good with the like slower... Uh, acoustic-y kind of... Yeah. He, had, he has parts, a folksy yeah. v- uh, vocal range, I guess. Yeah, he has certain parts in Who Wants to Live Forever, and, like, mm-hmm. he carries those perfectly yes. great. But it's his guitar playing that really makes an impact on his songs. Mm. No, it does. It, you, feel, you feel that soul when he plays. Yeah. And even after the release of Innuendo, Freddie didn't stop. Two or three times a week, he was still in the studio, making as much music as possible. He knew it was getting to the end and asked Brian to write him whatever song he could and he would lay down the vocals. The last song he worked on was Mother Love. Mm-hmm. They would do three takes at a, like three takes for every line. When they got to the last verse, Freddie told Brian he just needed to rest, but he'd come back to finish it. And he never did. On November 23rd, 1991... Freddie released a statement to the public saying he did indeed test positive for HIV and has AIDS. Even though the press spent years trying to expose him, they never managed to. He was able to tell his story in his own words, and no one was able to tell him otherwise. At 7 p.m. the next day, he passed away peacefully in his home. On November 27th, there was a private funeral service held for him in his home. Following the Zoroastrian religious traditions, as what he was raised in, he left his longtime partner, Jim Hutton, with a sum of money, but he basically left everything to his former girlfriend, Mary Austin, who was still with him until the very end. Manager Jim Beach was made executor executor of his estate, and Freddie told him he could do whatever he wanted with his legacy, just never make him boring. Even though they knew it was an inevitability, Freddie's death hit the rest of Queen real hard. They decided to hold a tribute concert to honor his legacy and use it as a vehicle to deal with their grief. I mean, sometimes you can expect somebody's death for years. It doesn't make it any easier. Right. Some cases it makes it harder. Because you've been waiting, and you've, you've been, been knowing that this is going to happen. Right. The same exact thing happened with my grandmother. Mm. For years, we took care of her, knowing that she was not going to be around at some point. Right. And when the day comes, when they finally pass away, when she finally passed away, like, we were all fucking devastated. Of course. And it's it's not like we didn't know it was coming. It's not like it was a surprise. It was just like... All those years of waiting just finally, like, catapulted into your consciousness. This thing that you've been, like, building up inside of you for years. Yeah, and, like, you think that all these years you've been processing it, you've been dealing with it. No, you're not. You're just... It's it's anxiety disguised as as getting through something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, that's a really good way to put that. It's 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 not processing somebody's death. It's just slow burning anxiety that explodes in you when they finally pass away. Yeah. Oh, that's It sucks. That's yeah. And that's exactly what happened with my family and my grandmother. Like all of us were fucking devastated even though we knew for like 5 years that right. she was going that she was going downhill and she was going to die. Right. 
it doesn't make it any easier. Yeah, because arguably, like, f- same exact thing happened with Queen. They Once yeah. they found out that Freddie had HIV, it's like, well, you're going to go like, soon. And when they... When he was diagnosed, it was like six years before he passed away. Um, 80, diagnosed in eighty seven, passed away in ninety one, so four years. Yeah, four years is but a long still, time. That's, that's a long time to hold on. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm, for what it's worth, I guess. But especially yeah, when if they, you're doing all of this amazing creative stuff, it makes he's, it even he's worse. He's working himself hard. He's yeah. not taking it easy. Right. You know, Brian tells the story of the last time he saw him. I think a couple weeks before he passed or maybe a week or so, I'm not exactly sure the timeline. He said, you know, I'm standing in his bedroom, Freddie's in his bed and I'm just noting on all the things he has in his garden. Like, Oh, that's nice. And Freddie just stopped and say, you really don't have to talk. You guys don't say anything. I'm just really happy you're here. Roger was on his way to see him, got a phone call and they said, don't bother. He's passed. Oh no. You're still going to see like, Can you imagine, though, you're like, I'm going to at least see him one last time. And then you're like, yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, they wanted to throw a tribute concert for him. So they did so on April 20th, 1992 at where else but Wembley Stadium. Mm -hmm. All funds went directly into the recently formed Mercury Phoenix Trust to finance AIDS projects around the world. This charity still exists today. And honestly, if you are feeling at all inspired, you should probably check out their page and Maybe throw a donation or two their way. Who knows? Feel like it. Do it. This event had some big names to it as well. David Bowie, Annie Lennox, George Michael floored the crowd with his cover of Somebody You Love, James Hetfield, Robert Plant, Liza Minnelli, and there was even a duet with Elton John and Axl Rose singing Bohemian Rhapsody. I do remember that. Yeah. Which just seems it weird. was a thing. It happened. It's a thing that happened. It is a and thing that happened. Pretty surreal now. Oh, it's very so... surreal. It's quite surreal now. <laughs> they definitely had to give Axel a lot of ice cream cones for that. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, the remaining members of Queen didn't see each other for some time. They took this as time to deal with their trials that they just went through. John and Roger eventually got back together in Montreux to see what they had to work with for another album. Initially, Brian was reluctant to work on the new album. He had been dealing with a lot of issues of depression and just kind of didn't feel right about it. Just couldn't get his into the right mindset. But when the others began to put songs together, he knew he wanted to be a part of this process. They took the vocal tracks that Freddie had laid down and flushed them out into fully realized songs. They added in some solo work from each band member, and the final product was Queen's 15th studio album, Made in Heaven, released in November 1995. In 97, the three remaining members of Queen went into the studio one last time to record the song No One But You, Only the Good Die Young. It was a definitive tribute to Freddie and the only new song to be featured on their compilation album, Queen Rocks. But even before they made that, John made his last appearance on stage when Queen performed The Show Must Go On with Elton John for Maurice Béjart's Ballet for Life. John was still affected by the loss of Freddie and felt that once he passed away, that was kind of it for Queen. He retired from the music world and now lives a very private life with his family. Brian and Roger say they don't talk to him much at all, but he still handles the band's finances. He did give a blessing for the Queen's biopic. Yeah. So they don't really talk to him, but once in a blue moon, he kind of pokes his head out and gives him a nod and goes back in. It's kind of funny because the the most widely 
distributed um, quote that I've seen from Brian and Roger in relation to John not being really part of the band anymore is Roger saying that John is a sociopath. What? I've never seen this. You didn't see that? No. Well, how have I not found this in my fucking... (laughs) What I found is Roger saying John's quite fragile. Yeah, he said that, but in the same uh, interview, he he said that John is a sociopath and... I, I think the general consensus among fans is that he didn't necessarily mean that John is fucking crazy or that he's manipulative or no. cr- or what anything like that. I think what he meant was that he's kind of antisocial in the sense right. that he doesn't want anything to, to really do with the band anymore. He doesn't want to perform. He just wants to live a quiet, reclusive life with his family. Yeah. And that's it. He's earned it. Right. So I think it's been taken out of context. I don't think Roger has anything against John. No. Or anything. From from everything that I've seen, they're like, no, the death of Freddie hit John hard. And, you know, it's really funny to look at it because what got him into music was the death of his father. Uh And what got him out of music was the death of Freddie. Right. So it was death that brought him in and death that brought him right back out. Right. And I think, I don't think that John really wanted to be a rock star. But he was happy to be there. I think he was It was, was a like, place for him to get his creativity out. I think he understood that it was an immense opportunity that he couldn't pass up. Right. And he was okay with it. And honestly, However, they needed him. But like, if he was just some, you know, regular Joe in the countryside of England being an electrician, he would have been happy doing that too. Yeah. Rockstar wasn't his number one job choice, but he understood the impact he could have. Yeah. And honestly... And that was good for him. As soon as Freddie died, the depression set in. Yep. Everything came to a head and he was just like, you know what? I'm going to step back because this isn't for me anymore. Right. And I think that's totally legit. Yeah. I, I don't blame him at all. I'm like... Not at all. You know what? He's probably figures we've had a great run. We had great times. But I am ready to just hang back with my family and enjoy the yeah. rest of my life. I mean, he's still worth millions. And I think he's, he's... apparently very good with finances. So I'm sure <laughs> he's doing just fine. Yeah. And he I... probably cleaned up from his alcohol. And I think um I think he realizes the impact he's had yeah. on music in general, period. Right. Um, and he's okay with like having that as his legacy and that's fine. Right. No, I I agree completely. And if the other two guys want to continue with Queen, that's fine with him. Yeah, he's not going to stop them. Right. He also doesn't love it either, though. Right. He doesn't need to be a part of it. Yeah, he's not in love with what they're doing, but at the same time, he's like, look, I'm just... You leave me alone, that's great. And, you know, if I was worth $250 million, I would be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm good. I'm going to retire now. It's fine. Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) Good for you. In 2002, British writer and comedian Ben Elton wrote the musical We Will Rock You. Based around Queen's music, it's been praised as a big hit, and it's still performed around the world. I still probably will never see it. Because I hate musicals based on the music of someone else. Like Billy Joel's Moving Out, or Green Day's American Idiot, or uh. ABBA's Dancing Mamma Mia. It's not Dancing Mamma Mia. I just corrected no, myself halfway through it. it's Dancing Mamma Mia. It is dancing, Mama singing Mia and now. dancing, Mama Mia. Um, I just, yeah, I think I saw the movie. I've seen most. There's a movie. Yeah, there's a movie. Oh, okay. 
Wait, for Mamma Mia or for Queens We Will Rock You? Oh, wait. No. Am I thinking of Rock of Ages? Is that the same thing? No, but it's also one I won't watch. Look, I like musicals, but I don't like musicals based I'm so on confused now. music that already exists. Wait, is We Will Rock You and Rock of Ages two different things? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I've seen parts of Rock of Ages, and I'm like, this is garbage. <laughs> okay, yeah, th- it's garbage. Yeah. I have not seen We Will Rock You. But it also has helped to keep Queen, I guess, in the popular culture. I am culture. so relieved that they are two different things right now. So the final two members of Queen found it much harder to walk away from the band's legacy. So Brian and Roger joined forces with... Bad Company's lead singer, Paul Rogers. Bad Company. <laughs> to tour as Queen and Paul Rogers. They worked together from 2005 to 2009 and even released a studio album called The Cosmos Rocks. <laughs> the Cosmos Rocks. Cosmos Rocks. It's really hard to say The Cosmos Rocks. I sound, I feel like I sound like Squiz Garsquiel. Cosmos Rocks. Cosmos Rocks. Cosmos Rocks. Yeah. Nerds. That's a cosmos side likes to fucks. Yeah. But I, I didn't even realize until I was looking it up. Yeah, so that's technically a Queen album because it's got all new original songs, but it's a Queen and Paul Rogers album. That's why I've never bothered with it. When they split in 2009, it was all good. No hard feelings. Just the end of an agreement. Mm-hmm. In 2010, after nearly 40 years working under the EMI label, Queen left them to go to Island Records under the Universal Music label. Doesn't seem like there was any real specific reason, so I'm assuming it was just a better deal. But so for now, at this point, they are under the music, the Universal Music kind of tent. And now, since 2012, Queen has been working with Adam Lambert to take on vocals. Our fucking favorite. I mean, could be worse. I guess, but seriously, the only reason people still know who fucking Adam Lambert is is because he's with Queen. And Mm. the only reason he's with Queen is because he sang some Queen songs when he was on American Idol. Idol. And people are like, Queen? Oh, he can sing Queen songs. Fucking a lot of people can sing Queen songs. Yeah, maybe that's why I don't like him. Well, they've been touring around the world since then, and now they actually have a U.S. tour this year, which I have decided to opt out of. Because after a lot of debating and thinking, it's like I still love Brian and Roger. I would still love to see Brian and Roger live, but I really don't like Adam Lambert. Yeah. And I can't justify spending that much money if I'm going to be subjected to Adam Lambert's stupid face. That's I like never pain. liked him. I don't get why everyone likes him. There are so many other guys who have just as good, if not a better vocal range. I mean, there's the lead singer from The Darkness, the lead singer from Foxy Shazam, uh, even the lead singer from Muse or Mika. Like, there are so many yeah. other musicians it's that literally, could do it that aren't Adam fucking Lambert. It's literally only because of American Idol. And I roll my eyes, Lynn's Lemon style. And he didn't even win American Idol. You picked the second place. You literally picked second place to replace Freddie Mercury. Come on. And everybody's like, oh, I think Freddie would approve. And I'm like, I don't think he would. I don't think he would. I think he would side-eye the shit out of Adam Lambert. Yeah, he would. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That would be beautiful. <laughs> to watch this Freddie be like, mm. He is side-eyeing Adam Lambert from the heavens. Yes. Oh, my God. The most majestic of side-eyes. <laughs> In November 2014, they released another album called Queen Forever, 
which features not only their big hits, but also a lot of their B-sides and also some unreleased songs, like a duet between Freddie and Michael Jackson called There Must Be More to Life Than This. Huh. And of course, just a few months ago, we saw the release of the film Bohemian Rhapsody, a biopic about the band, but mostly Freddie Mercury. Mm Mm-hmm. And no matter how you feel about it, this film did do a service to the world by keeping the music of Queen the forefront in people's view. Mm-hmm. Despite the many problems we have had with it. I am still glad it exists. Yeah. And I still will say Rami Malek and the rest of the cast did a bang up job. Because, you know, a lot of younger people, the are, youths, the youths <laughs> are going to go and see it because Rami Malek is in it. Yeah. Or whoever is in it. Um, Jurassic Park guy. Jurassic Park. Joseph Mazzello is a wonderful man. (laughs) Um, Hometown Pride. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, he's from like the same area as me. Nice. Yay. So when the film came out, I noticed many people saying how glad they were that they didn't show the later days of Queen when Freddie was really ill because they didn't want to see him frail and sickly. And to (sighs) that, I want to say... That was actually a misstep on the film's part. Agreed. I wish we saw closer to his final days. Yes, Freddie was always a proud and boisterous person who was never afraid to put himself out there. I think he always showed courage. But to me, real courage is shown when you know your number's up, but you keep going anyway. Freddie may have been weak at the end, but he never complained and he never stopped working. And what's more inspiring than that? He knew any song could be his last, and he didn't let his inevitable end stop him from being positive and seeing beauty in the world. The Show Must Go On is the penultimate song Mm. of who Freddie Mercury is. And it's not just in the finished product, but the creation of it as well. Brian wrote that part for Freddie. And at one point, he apologized for the high notes and told him, you know, if he couldn't manage that, then it would be all right. And Freddie... In his usual exaggerated <laughs> panache, told Brian, oh, for God's sake, I'll fucking do it, darling. Took a shot of vodka and nailed it in one take. That is Freddie Mercury. And it's also Queen. A family that came together when it really mattered. Who, in the end, could put aside all the bullshit so they could do something they were so good at already. But together they were unstoppable. And to me, that's the real heart of the story of Queen. It's just these four awesome guys who made beautiful music. Yeah. Who gives a shit about what the tabloids said or what they would fight about? Who gave a shit that Freddie got sick? They didn't care. They just wanted to make music. And their story inspires me so much. When I'm sad, I listen through Queen discography. When I need a boost, I actually do watch the documentary and I feel oddly better. Like, I'm like, I can fucking do whatever I need to do. I fucking love Queen. But in a way, I'm kind of glad that Queen, the original Queen, not Adam Lambert Queen, <laughs> um, ended when they did. I don't think they could have survived the 90s, which makes me glad. I don't think they would have survived the 90s either. However, I think they would have come back around by now. Right. But I didn't want to see them go through the 90s, continuing to try and make music, and it not landing. What I think would have happened was they would have 
quote unquote they would have split, split up. Yeah. But I think by the 2010s would have come back. Yeah. Permanent I hiatus. Think, I also think if Freddie was still alive, he'd be doing such amazing things. I think he'd be doing oh, yeah. great team ups. I think he would still be just rolling with whatever's happening and still trying to make something new and creative out of it because Freddie is a chameleon. He can do whatever he needs to do yeah. to survive. Yeah. Hot, weird hot take. Some people are like, oh, if John Lennon was still alive. And I'm like, I feel like if John I Lennon don't was still alive, no. I don't think he'd be doing great stuff. I don't think he would. I think he would be, at this point, maligned the world over yeah. because I think he would have had pretty shit viewpoints yeah. on a lot of things. Right. And I don't think people would tolerate it. No. So I think, but I think Freddie would have been fine. And I think Freddie yeah. would be, Freddie to me is a tragic death because, first of all, the AIDS epidemic was disgusting. And what's so annoying is that now you can you can live with AIDS mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You can. The AIDS epidemic, fucking disgusting. But then I think he'd still be making really amazing projects. Yeah, now he would. Whether or not it's... Maybe he would just go back into art yeah. and make beautiful art. Who knows? I think the 90s would have really hurt them a lot. And I think... The 90s hurt all of us a little bit. <laughs> Let's be honest. We're old enough to remember the 90s. They were rough, man. Preteen Maggie would agree with that. But I mean, who knows? I mean, Brian May could have redone the theme song of Power Rangers. <laughs> he still could have. He still can. I mean, at least Brian May's full-blooded astronomer now. Is Great. he really? Oh, no. Yeah. Like, he's legit astronomer, does science and shit. He does science and shit. That's the best way I can put that. <laughs> he does science and shit. <laughs> Guys, I'm not smart. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, I just, uh, it, it gets me. It, it still gets me to lose somebody like Freddie because I just feel like he'd be doing so much good still. He could be doing so much good stuff in this world. And it really sucks to have lost somebody so needlessly that yeah. could have contributed so much amazing art yep, and do so much good for this world. It sucks. Yeah. Especially because, because he was so, he was so aware of what was going on and he, he did not take for granted any of his last years. Yeah. Which is fucking God, that's beautiful too. And again, so I, I just, I get people are like, I don't want to see him sick, but I feel like that's when he really showed some amazing strength was those yeah. days. He Such had so much uh, material to make. Yeah. He's, he never with. stopped. He didn't stop. Yeah. Till basically he died. The story of them doing the vocals for The Show Must Go On. Yeah. And Brian's like, I don't think... You can do this. And he's like, oh, and I'll h- fucking and do him it. just fucking downing a shot and being like, I'm gonna do this, darling, and yeah. just getting up and doing it is peak Oscar material. Yeah, for anybody. Yeah, I mean, they did try to do it with Bohemian Rhapsody, and, I, and they, they did, did do a very good job. Again, very good job done. Yeah. I still got emotional. Yeah, but the the real story, I just, I'm just that asshole who goes into movies and I'm like, mm, the book was better. Yeah, I, I just want. I'm not a movie person. Just sit down very haughtily in your movie seat, movie theater seat, and oh. go, make me cry. 
God damn. I did. Dare you. Hold on. It was way too easy for Bohemian Rhapsody because it was gonna make me cry right. no matter what because Freddie dies and I don't like it. Yeah. It's one of Even the things th- in real life I still can't handle. <laughs> Even though they don't show any of that, you're still like, but he dies. And I know he dies, yeah. and I can't handle it <laughs> as a person. But, know. yeah. I mean, they're that- still, you know, Brian and Roger's still touring, and I, you know, I've heard of people still going to see them with Adam Lambert, and that's great. You should go. Go and support them. Go see them. Tell me how I can't majestic that, Brian May and Roger Taylor are in person. I will live vicariously through you. Yes. But if, like, Brian May were to do, like, a solo guitar tour around the country, I'm there for that. But only if they sing, Starfleet, Starfleet. (laughs) Yo, they could be, like, making a super group right now. They could be. Guys, get Eddie Van Halen. Get that guy from Mario Speedwagon. What are they doing right now? You could be the traveling Wilburys. You don't what even know. What are you doing? What are you doing? Guys. <laughs> Ditch Adam Lambert supergroup. Yep. Call it Starfleet version 2.0. <laughs> Starfleet and friends. Oh. That's what I want. That's 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 where we need to end this. Yes. On fucking Starfleet. <laughs> Beautiful. And Brian May's floating head. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> oh my goodness oh all right guys that's the story of queen that's it that's it that's all i got i mean there's so much more i f- i still feel like i have scraped the surfaces on many stories i mean we could do a whole entire episode just on our reactions to all of the things that have happened in the story of queen but yeah. we will spare you yeah we'll spare you i think i think we've already put you guys through enough yep <laughs> Thank I managed, for, I managed to keep out. my shit together. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> All right, kids. I hope you guys enjoyed the story of Queen. Thank you for listening to us and sticking it yeah. out. And, and maybe somewhere we will put up our uh, list of top yeah, we, Queen albums. we went a little over. I thought we would, too. I knew these notes were a lot. So at some point, maybe we'll put out our, either write out our our top list, our, our list of well, Queen you, albums you, ranked. You ranked all of the Queen yeah, albums. what else am I supposed to do? I just did my top five. I mean, I guess that's something, too. Great. So next so week we'll is, have something new. This is fucking done. We're done. This is donezo. We'll have something new next week. In sure to entertain you. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to I have, it. I haven't done an episode in three weeks. You haven't done an episode in like a month. Yeah. Because it's been oh, a month yeah, it's been... we took some time off and then I did three weeks and... I'm ready for a little breaky break. Yeah, you need a breaky break. That was that was a tense deep dive for me. I've been dreaming about Queen legitimately. I have had one Queen Which isn't bad. One Queen song or no, no, I'm not even gonna say that. I've had at least two Queen songs stuck in my head at any given point in the last three weeks. Yes. Yeah, same. Two to three at least, interchangeable. Yep. Have been stuck in my head. I'm okay with that. That's I've just fine. been having like full albums running through my head. But I've gotten really good. When I was at the beer store, I found like five beers. I'm like, I can use it for that song. I can use it for that song. I can use it for that song. I can use it for that song and that song and that song. And I'm like, ooh, I've gotten really good at this. Well, and I'm going to drink you. it all the way this year. <laughs> 2019, drinking away my memories. Yeah. Why don't you guys, if you feel like uh, hitting us up, we would love to hear from you. You can always visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. There you can comment on episodes or even drop us an email. 
And if that's not really your bag and you're into more of the social meets, we do have a Twitter at Rock Candy Podcast. Or there's always our Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. So, you know, many ways, hitting us up. Tell your friends. Tell your family. We're fun. We're a good time. Hide your wives. Hide your kids. Don't hide them. Bring them out for this. <laughs> they need to see it. I need everyone to know the story of Queen. Mm-hmm. So share it. Share it with everyone. And on that note, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Balls out. Thank you. Balls out. Thank you.